As we were singing just now, I, I got the impression that as we were singing that line about um, broken hearts, I got, I got the impression that the Lord's desire is to heal broken hearts this morning. I got the impression that even now he's stretching out his hands toward us uh, to heal. Where there is um, a broken heart this morning, would you would you stretch out your hand in healing power today? And Lord, where there is resistance to that, um, I, I just pray uh, that even now, you by your Spirit would uh, just even over the next little while just kind of wear us down. <laughs> It's my desire to not come with fancy arguments or powerful words, but to rely on the power of the Spirit as I do this work. And so, would you come, Holy Spirit? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Since the end of April, we have been doing some teaching around the concept of inner healing. Uh, and what we've said inner healing is, is, is it's experiencing Jesus' joyful presence and power in the midst of our wounds and in the midst of those places maybe where we just feel stuck. And, and my interest in this our interest in inner healing is pastoral. How do we help somebody in our spiritual family who is, quote, doing all the right things but remains stuck? What do we do? What do we do when someone's going to counseling and coming to church and in a small group and pursuing community and reading their Bible every day and praying every day, but they're still stuck? Right? What do we do then? Right? Is the answer, well, just persevere. Perseverance is part of it. But Jesus also said that we will do greater works than he did. And so we want to help our faith rise and build anticipation for the ways that God can heal what is going on inside of us even now that we can experience a, a greater level of freedom than we're experiencing now. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay? So we're thinking about inner healing pastorally, and I just want to remind you we're about a month in, and we've got about a month left to go, just of a few things that we've said are true about inner healing. And the first is that Jesus isn't going to force healing on anybody. 
Sometimes what Jesus is waiting for is for us to kind of take that step. There are some things in our past that will not be healed until we go back there and deal with them, right? Jesus wants us to go with him on a trusting journey of healing. Another one of those principles is that Jesus really likes doing things with us. And especially when it comes to inner healing, it seems that he is more interested in redeeming than he is in replacing. What we want is to go to God, pray, ask him to take this thing away, and have like some sort of whoop. And more often than not, it seems to me that Jesus takes us through a redeeming process where we're even experiencing some of the elements of our wounding again in a safe environment where we can learn more about who he is and be made more whole. The third principle is that sometimes healing really can happen in a moment. But usually that moment, if it is a moment, needs to be followed by a process, right? So God did some things in some people's lives last weekend at Naturally Supernatural, right? Even heard other stories this week of inner healing being done. There's still a process. There's a walking that out. God, God works in our life in both events and processes. And I'm reminding us of all of these basics because we're only halfway through this series, right? And as I've taught our preachers, uh, you won't remember what, I'm saying, what I've said today by the end of the day, much less next week, much less next month. And that's okay. That's how God keeps preachers humble. Okay? So it's good to be reminded. But I'm also saying this because some of us, we're a month into this, and you've yet to resonate with anything that we've talked about in this series. So this is a for them thing, not a for you thing. I want to suggest to you that there probably is just something hiding in your blind spot. Or maybe it's not something that's hiding in your, maybe it's something that's in your blind spot, but your spouse, your friends, your parents, your children are super aware of, right? And so through this series, they've been saying, Lord, like release healing power onto that thing over there. <laughs> I want us to be aware of what's in our blind spot. And, 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 if, and if nothing comes up in this series, for all three of you out of the 150 people in our spiritual family, that must be really nice. Um, but... I would say our, our interest in inner healing, along with our interest in all things Holy Spirit and spiritual power, is also missional. You know people who don't know Jesus. There are people that are close to you but are not close to Jesus for whom these things are true, who need more joy in their life, who have an identity issue. And so maybe this isn't receiving in the sense of, oh, this really did something to me, although it's doing a lot for a lot of people. Somehow in that identity in Christ, I've not gotten as much feedback from a sermon as I got about that identity in Christ sermon, which the other problem with that, let me just tell you, is like, okay, well, how do I keep going at that level, right? Um, but there's something true here for us, isn't there? There's something that the Lord is doing in us. Um, and, and there's something that the Lord is equipping you to do in the lives of others, Okay? This morning, we're going to continue on this journey of inner healing. About, I want to continue pushing into with us. 
an experience of Jesus' joyful presence and power in the midst of our wounds, in the midst of the places of our stuckness. And two weeks ago, we, had, we explored identity in Christ, right? We explored that there are these lies that we hear from the world, the flesh, and the devil about who we are, and that there's this narrative that Jesus is trying to t- speak over our lives. There's a narrative that the Father speaks over us, that we are his beloved sons and daughters in whom he's well-pleased to bring him much joy, but there are these lies that go against that. So some of you really have, for the last two weeks, the feedback hasn't just been, oh, that sounded nice. The feedback has been, I've been doing this and seeing some freedom in my life. Praise Jesus, right? Um, But some of us have been doing that work and found there's like a lie that is super stuck in there, right? Like some of us, oh man, I recognize this lie. I started praying truth over myself and I started to experience some freedom. Some of us are saying, okay, there's a couple in there that just, they're, they're, they're really stuck. And I want us to think about lies this morning that are particularly stuck because the lies that are particularly stuck often are connected to a vow, a vow. And we're going to explore that today, but I thought we would first talk about what is so bad about a lie anyway? And Amanda is quickly learning that I am totally out of order with the slides. So you'll, she's great. Um, what's so bad about a lie? Um, most of us as children learned that lying is bad, didn't we? Right? We have some friends that don't really do corporal punishment unless it's lying. Right? I think that's a good step. Some of us have had our mouths washed out with soap because we lie. So we learn not to tell lies, but then we get older, don't we? That was fun to talk about because some of you just like, eh, about the (laughs) soap thing. So we can go into the prayer room after this, do some inner healing about that. Um, um, but, But as we get older, all of a sudden we start to create a category of acceptable lies, don't we? We call them white lies, right? So we lie to our children, our toddlers, to kind of grease the skids of a difficult parenting moment. It's all right if you don't want to go to nap. Mommy and Daddy are going to nap too. In my house, that's almost never a lie. I'm just going to let you know. Um, (laughs) Tenants had something every night this week as related to our spiritual family. We were glad to do that. So we straight up broke our, our, our day into two chunks, morning and evening, and napped from two to four, and it was, it's great. But at some of us, that's what we do. We lie to our kids to kind of, can we, let's just move this along, right? Or the husbands in the room, the boyfriends are learning that no matter what we think, do I look good in this? The answer is always yes, right? Um, unless you have a wife like mine that has sworn me to truth-telling, um, uh, so what makes a lie so bad? I was looking at Scripture, and the first lie in Scripture is not a lie that a person tells. The first lie is a lie that Satan tells. Which goes exactly what Jesus says in John 8, 44. Jesus says of Satan, when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies, right? 
Satan lies to Adam and Eve about who they are, about who God is, right? And so it seemed to me that the problem with lies isn't just that we tell them, it's that we believe them. That's the real problem. The problem isn't so much that we tell lies, they're problematic, but the, lies, the problem with lies is that we believe them. What does Scripture say about lies? Uh, Proverbs 25.18 says that telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. A lie told about us wounds us. Lies are destructive. Psalm 5.9 says this, My enemies cannot speak a truthful word. Their deepest desire is to destroy others. So what do they do out of that desire? Their talk is foul, like the stench from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. I want us to think about that. If a lie on our lips makes our breath smell like the grave, what happens when we believe a lie? To me, it seems that we tumble right into the grave. When we believe a lie, it is an encounter with death. Proverbs 18, 21 says, the tongue can bring death or life. Watch what you say over your kids. Watch what you say over your spouse. Watch what you say over your friends. Watch what you say over your leaders. Watch what you say over. Words create worlds, right? The tongue can bring death or life. Last week, our friend Julie brought up this interesting image, didn't she? She said, you know, I want you to imagine like when you were a kid when you fell and you scraped your knee and it's, it's all bloody and it's got like gravel in it. And there's a moment, isn't there, where you have to decide to let that wound hurt just a little bit longer so we can wash all that out of there and put a Band-Aid on it, right? So we can wash it all out and put Neosporin on it. And if we, if we don't, right, if we don't do that, the wound festers, it gets infected. And in the most catastrophic of cases, that infection can spread to other parts of our body and kill us, right? Now, you and I live in America, it's 2022, but, so we're not really aware of how like an infection, like from a scraped thing, can kill a person in the third world, right? It's like a really usual common cause of death even 100 years ago. So instead of washing that wound, which would be temporarily painful, absolutely, the wound festers and the infection spreads, what if the same thing can happen to our soul? What if when we get hurt, the enemy has an opportunity to plant a lie there? What happens when that lie festers? That's what we're thinking about today. Um, and I'll tell you what happens is when a lie is, when we're wounded in life, which just happens, doesn't it? A lie can be planted in there, and when that lie festers, 
that disbelief festers, we get a vow, a vow. Jack's favorite movie is Cars. Uh, it's the only movie he watches. There's, Jack is, I really like Jack. He, likes his, he knows his own limits. So we tried to watch Encanto with him. The first, the first three minutes is just people dancing around and singing. He goes, Daddy, this is too big for me. <laughs> okay. So that movie came out, you ready to feel old? That movie came out in 2006. I was still in high school when Cars came out. Um, so here's a quick synopsis. Lightning McQueen, right? The red car, I think I have a picture of him. Lightning McQueen is an up-and-coming racing star. He gets stranded in the small town of Radiator Springs. The town is run by an older car, the Hudson Hornet, okay? Who we find later in the movie was a racing car himself, and something happened to him that he got forgotten, and he says, he says in the movie, I swore I would never race again. He made a vow. He made a vow. Final season of This Is Us. I think the last episode is this week. Um, do you know one of the most like pop culture things I've ever done as your pastor? I preached a whole sermon series on this TV show years ago. We did clips with it. It was very cool and probably copyright infringement. Um, I won't tell you who, but one of the marriages you're gonna fi- we find out in this season, one of the marriages doesn't work out. It's a bummer. One of the marriages doesn't work out. Uh, and as the marriage is following apart, one of the husbands says, one of the spouses says, I swore I would never have a marriage like my parents had. That's a vow. A couple weeks ago, Corey Bradley was preaching. A couple months ago, before he used to remember, he was preaching on um, returning to his first love and he shared about this kind of wounding experience in a, in a local church. And what did he say? I swore I would never enter a church again. That's a vow. That's a vow. What is a vow? A vow... Uh, Let's look at Galatians chapter 6 for a minute. Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 9? Paul says, Do not be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God you will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. See, in Galatians 6, Paul is giving us a look under the hood of the universe, right? Karma 
is the non-Christian or like the, like the unbiblical version of a universal truth that Paul says, which is you reap what you sow. You harvest what you plant. If you plant an apple seed in the ground, do you know what you get? An apple tree. If you plant some zucchini in the ground, do you know what you get? More zucchini than you know what to do with, so you bring boxes of it to church and then throw it on a table and then leave before anybody sees you and make it their problem. (laughs) I know you. It's coming at the end of July. A man can only eat so much zucchini bread, people. If you plant in your life good things, this is on the tail end of a teaching of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you plant in your life love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, you'll get more of that. But if you plant grumbling, you know what you get? More grumbling. Plant complaining, you get more complaining. Plant anger, you get more anger. Plant fear, you get more fear. Plant lust, you get more lust. we're, We're doing this all of the time. What happens if you plant a lie? What harvest will come from planting the seed of a lie? You get a vow. You get a vow. Dr. Marcus Warner, in his book, Understanding the Wounded Heart, he says this, your heart is like a vineyard. Wounds are like the parts of your heart that have been plowed up, creating pockets of pain. As the father of lies, the devil is always ready to plant the seeds of deception in these wounded places. If we believe his lies, his seeds take root. And when that happens, the devil's lies start to feel true. We don't think of them as lies. And at this point, our flesh gets involved and makes vows about how we will therefore live. An inner vow is the fruit of a lie left to fester. We get hurt, and it turns up the soil of our heart. And if we don't know how to, if we don't know Jesus, if we've never been trained to do this, we don't take that wound to Jesus and let him plant truth there right away, the enemy will swoop in and plant a lie there. And that wound will fester, that seed of a lie will take root, and out will come a vow. Now here's what's interesting. A vow is an attempt at self-protection. We're trying to keep ourselves safe. We've been hurt. This lie was planted. And so to prevent ourselves from ever being hurt again, we make a vow to stop ourselves from ever going to that place again. I will never trust a man. I will never trust a woman. I will never be like my parents. I will be hyper-vigilant about my child's welfare, right? I will never be poor.
It's an act of self-protection. Warner says it's how our flesh circumvents trusting God and takes control. Dr. Dan Allender, uh, he's a Christian therapist who specializes in trauma. He says, we all experience traumatic events, but when these events are handled well, our bodies are able to heal from the trauma. We tend to think of trauma as something we experience in our minds. It's actually the body keeps the score. It lives here. It lives in our bodies. It doesn't just live primarily here. When they are not handled well, the trauma is lodged in our bodies and there are long-term effects. This is when we make deep commitments or vows that we will not suffer again the way we are suffering now. These vows consciously and unconsciously shape our view of the world and how we will participate in it. This produces a sense of control but inevitably leads to narrowing our options for the future. Let me give you some features of a vow. A vow is an agreement with the enemy about the nature of reality. A vow is an agreement with the enemy on the nature of reality. What did Warner say? That the enemy's lies start to feel true. We agree with the enemy's perspective on reality than the father's. We come to an unbiblical belief about the way the world works, about who we are, about who God is, and that unbiblical belief grows a vow, and a vow is an attempt to keep ourselves from harm. So after a harmful experience, to protect ourselves from being in that place again, we make a vow to stop ourselves. Another way to say it is our flesh takes control. There's some repentance that needs to happen here, because it's our flesh taking control. It's our flesh saying, I don't want to trust you, God. So I'll take control now. And a vow, ironically, it narrows our options for the future, right? We think it's giving us more freedom, but it's actually, it's making us imprisoned. We think it's protecting us, but it's actually a prison, right? A vow is often unconscious. You don't know the vows you have. I gave you a list of vows to maybe help you think about that. You don't know what vow you have. Most of our vows are unconscious. They only emerge, we only come into contact with our vow when the conditions in which we made the vow the first time reappear in our present, when the past and the present touch. All of a sudden, then we're aware, right? So the character, right, said, the character in This Is Us said, I, I swore I would never have a marriage like my parents. The past and the present touched. And you may not know that you have an inner vow until you suddenly find yourself struggling and trapped and you can't figure out why. And it is because you have made a vow, you have made a promise, you have sworn an oath that the world is going to be this way from now on. And a vow is usually expressed in an I will or I will never statement. I will never trust a man again. I, I, I will always hide from God right? I will never be good enough, right? So let me just give you like an example of a vow. I'm going to share one, and then are you going to share one? Yes, surprise. Um, uh, So when I was growing up as a kid, any time that I made a good friend, they moved away, or I moved away right? 
So I made a really good friend in elementary school, we moved away. I made another really good friend or two actually, uh, I made another friend in elementary school, they moved away. Right. Made another really good friend in middle school, he moved away. And the pain of making a friend and then losing the friend so quickly, I swore a vow, I didn't know this until about a year ago, I swore a vow and I said, I will not be close, I will never be close with guy friends in my life. I swore a vow. I will never be close to men in my life. Um, what was the lie? What was the unbiblical belief? What was the lie? The lie was anytime you make a relationship, it's going to be taken away from you, right? And so I built this like hedge of protection around myself so I didn't have to keep feeling that. But what that led to was a lot of isolation and loneliness. See what I'm saying? Um, do you want to share about yours? And then we're going to pass the round mic around. We can all share our vows. Um, it's going to be a real fun Sunday. Yeah. Get excited. Um, so for me, um, growing up and in high school, I had two really good guy friends um, who were different ages, one first and the other. And I um, really had a crush on both of them, liked both of them. And it was kind of a situation where, like, you know, like, oh, Steph, she's the best, you know? Like, um, and so this kind of went on through all of high school where I was just always the friend. And I always... Um, you know, would like have these feelings for this person. And, and I, so I always got hurt, right? Cause I always was putting myself out there and then they'd be dating some girl and making out in the back seat while I was driving the car, whole other story. Anyway, <laughs> a lot of unhealthiness to deal with there. But um, I kind of exited high school with this idea of like, no guy will ever hurt me again. Like I will not let someone get close enough to hurt me. I will not be friends with guys. I will not entertain those relationships. And so, I mean, that for me then led to, to no dating all through my 20s. Um, a lot of people telling me, like, you just don't put out good vibes, which was always my favorite. Like, what does that mean? Um, but I think there was just such a protection around me because to engage in relationship is to risk getting hurt, right? To even date is to risk getting hurt. And because I had made this vow, I will never be hurt in this way again, I had a 10-foot wide, 10-foot high wall around me that was, like, not interested even though that wasn't the truth of who I was. So I found myself really trapped in that, and obviously, thankfully, the Lord resolved that, and here we are. But I, um, like, I like her vibes. Yeah. So. <laughs> Welcome. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the reason I wanted to do this, the reason, so there's a lot of ways to go about a series on inner healing, right? Like, let's name topics and go after the particular topics, and, and there's value to that, and that can be helpful. But the reason that we've kind of landed in these early parts on identity in Christ and inner vows is because grief, anger, perfectionism, shame, body image stuff, regret, guilt, depression, anxiety, sadness, loneliness, pride, inflexibility, all of these things, they don't, aren't always, but they may be inflamed by an inner vow. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm trying to kind of maybe name a more broad tool that would help us move against some of these things, right? And so how do we do that? How do we move against 
the inner vows, right? So you have a list of them. I want to encourage you to look that over. I, I, I found that list online, and I liked how there were check boxes next to it, as if anticipating that I would have to check most of them off. I don't know. <laughs> um, I think it's helpful. But let's talk about how we go up against a vow. And I think um, there's something in the call of the prophet Jeremiah that helps us know what to do there. Jeremiah 1 In Jeremiah 1, 9, and 10, the prophet Jeremiah is called into the Lord's service. This isn't on the screen, Amanda. Sorry. In Jeremiah 1, 9, and 10, it says, The Lord reached out and touched my mouth and said, Look, I've put my words in your mouth. Today, I appoint you to stand up against nations and kingdoms. And some you must uproot and tear down, destroy and overthrow. Others you must build up and plant. Jeremiah receives like this double call, right? Uprooting and tearing down and planting and building. And I think that is also how we deal with like vows, which kind of almost become kingdoms in our heart, right? There are some things that we need to uproot and then we need to learn how to plant some truth there. And sometimes we can do that just journaling and other times we need to go get some inner healing and go to counseling to do that. But, but a vow, so here's, here's how we go against these vows. Even now, some of you are coming to realize, I think there's a vow in my life. Some of you are like, I think I have like 10. What if I have 10? One at a time, baby, one at a time. Um, a vow's revealed, and, and sometimes it's revealed through like circumstances. Like you find yourself in a circumstance, and why am I feeling this way? Sometimes that vow is revealed through prayer, right? Maybe somebody has a prophetic insight. I feel like the Lord might be like kind of highlighting this for you. Sometimes, you know, someone notices our behavior, Maybe we notice our behavior, and we realize that we have this unbiblical belief, and what it has done, it has sprouted a vow. And so what we actually first need to do is when we identify the vow, we need to actually go back a step further and notice what belief is it rooted in, right? I believed, right? I believed that anytime I made a friend, they would abandon me. Like, I just believe that's how the world, world, world works now right? When, so you got to go back for the unbiblical belief, which is the lie that we believed, and this is key. Um, some of the fivefold prophets in our community, the people that are, they're like, are we talking about repentance enough? Here you go. You ready? When you identify an unbiblical belief, you have to repent of it. You actually have to confess that you have agreed with the evil one instead of God about the nature of reality. You've made an agreement, like signed a contract almost with the enemy. So you name that unbiblical belief, you've got to repent of that. You've got to go to the Lord. Some of us don't know how to do this. Let me be super clear. You need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to confess and renounce the belief of blank. You've got to repent of that false belief. So you've got a belief, you've got a vow. Then we go, this is so we've torn up, and now we need to plant, Right? what God says, and we want to declare in the Holy Spirit what is true. So I, I have a few of these. I have a few examples. Um, I believe people don't accept me. That's the unbiblical belief. So I will put up walls to protect myself. 
But God says, I am his accepted beloved, so I declare I will share his love with others. Here's another one. I believe men don't cry. Not looking at anybody in particular, but the men in our church, I'm looking at you. I believe men don't cry, so I will hide my emotions. The truth is, Jesus wept. So I declare I will respond to the emotions of my heart. I'll be a weeper now. This is a good one. I believe my sin is unforgivable, so I will hide from God. Now, here's the interesting thing about vows. The unbiblical belief can manifest itself in a vow in any number of ways. So a person that believes that, God is unfor- that they are unforgivable actually might have a vow, I will be perfect in an attempt to please God. And that's what we call, my friends, a Pharisee. Right? God says that he forgives my sin. I declare I will go to God with my sin. Now, so this is, and this is the format, right? Belief, vow, God says, I declare. Belief, vow, I, 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 did a, I started writing a whole bunch of these. Um, I believe the Democrats are out to get me. Therefore, I will aggressively fight to see the Republican Party win, and I will be angry at the Democrats in my life. I declare, but I believe God is the sovereign Lord of all creation. Therefore, I will trust his hand in any election. I think there are vows, interesting, I think there are vows that entire communities make. We have made a vow in the Mahoning Valley not to trust leaders and to undermine them because leaders are the ones that took the steel mills away. Right? Right? We have made a vow um, of dread. I believe that the other shoe is about to drop at any time, so I will be hypervigilant and anxious. Right? We make vows. Families make vows, right? Churches make vows. Now, what would be ideal is to prevent a vow from happening at all, right? Right? And so, how do we do that? Um, one of the best pieces of advice that Steph has ever given me is advice that she got herself, which is, be very careful of the decisions you make from a place of pain. Do you want to know how you prevent making a vow? You want to be very, very careful of the decisions you make in a place of pain. Does that make sense? Because the decisions we make in a place of pain almost always become vows. When we are wounded, when we experience hurt, Um, we want to run to Jesus and declare over ourselves what is true. And for some of us, that becomes a battle, doesn't it? Right? Over and over and over again sometimes. Because what we want to do is we want to, before the enemy can get in there and plant something that we need to uproot later, we want to plant truth, right? Parenting, that's what we want to do, right? Right? Kids come to us with a truth. We want to do all the listening things, but then ultimately we want to help them plant truth in their wound, right? Uh, we want to, this is why identity in Christ is so important, right? 
We want to prevent it. We want to plant. We want to, in our woundedness, sow to the Spirit. Why? Those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from Him. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But when we sow truth into the places of our wounding, life comes out of that, right? Because we always harvest what we plant. So I'm going to have Steph lead us in response time. I'm going to have Amanda push you with the slide with the vow, belief, vow, prayer. Yes, thank you. Um, I think this is one of the things that really has been so transformative. I was even thinking as Kyle was, was preaching that sermon of some friends of mine who both grew up in poverty and um, who basically got married on the shared vow of we will never be poor. And I've watched them chase after bigger houses, better jobs, and more money, but I'm, I'm not sure that in the end they love Jesus more or that they're any happier. Like, it's become a trap, I think, as I've watched them kind of from a distance. Um, so, I mean, it can be anything. It can be money. It can be body image. It can be relationships. Um, but again, the Father's heart for us always is freedom. He wants to speak truth over us. He wants us to face those wounds and those vows, not to cause us more pain, but to bring us to a place of freedom and of joy and of abundance in him and in what he wants to do. And I think even as Kyle talked about, you know, it limits our future if you're living into those vows, there's things that God has for you that you just don't have the eyes to see right now because you're so consumed with that protection. So um, we're going to just take a moment here um, and just pray, invite the Father. If he hasn't already revealed something to you, you can look at those lists um, just to, to kind of invite him to speak into your life. What is something that you've been walking around with not even knowing that's keeping you imprisoned? And if you can, kind of work your way through that. So what is the vow? What does God say? And what do you declare? And if you will, um, the oversight team will be in the back after if you need prayer over that. If you're like, I feel like there's something I can't put my finger on it or I can't put my finger on the truth, um, we would love to pray with you and for you. So let's just take a moment while the team plays. Father, we just declare today as a spiritual family that we see the enemy for who he is, mm. that he is a liar and a father of lies, that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, Jesus, we break off any agreements we've made with him, any ways in which we've said yes to the reality he's tried to create for us. Father, I pray freedom. I pray for eyes to see over our spiritual family, that we would be quick to recognize those lies and those vows that maybe we've been living under. Father, I pray 
freedom from that today. I pray for an expanded future that you want to offer over each of us today. Jesus, I pray forgiveness for those who are repenting and confessing the lies they believe, who want to walk in a different way today. We thank you that you have come to give us life and life to the full. And so I pray that we would live into that this week. In your name, amen.